Welcome back to Pass the Jar. As you guys heard on 2.5, things are about to start sounding and looking a little different around here. You're about to hear it sound a little different. Thanks to my man Drew Farley for the new music. But this episode, we have Jason Darty on. We're talking Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, his time as a commercial diver, his time in the military, and of course, our favorite thing, Walker County. So you guys know what to do. Open up that jar, pass it around, and enjoy Pass the Jucal. to pass the jar like i said today's guest is jason darty jason welcome man thanks for having me man good to be here yes sir i appreciate you coming on taking time out of your busy busy schedule that's not that busy (laughs) entrepreneurs are always busy man (laughs) uh always got something going on tell us a little bit about yourself um i was born here in the great county of walker (laughs) um when i was a kid i think we lived here till i was like two i moved to gulfport mississippi stayed there till I think we had two weeks left in the sixth grade, and we moved back here. So I got to finish the last two weeks of sixth grade at Oakman. Went with a school where my average class size was about the same as the graduating class at Dang. Oakman. So it was a little bit of culture shock. Um, yeah. But, man, said I would never come back once I left, joined the military um, right before I turned 18. And once I got done with the military, this is where I wanted to raise my kids. So I came back with my daughters and... Here we are. Been doing it ever since. So what uh, what exactly made you decide to go into the military? Uh, it got me out of Oakman, um, to be honest. Uh, a lot of people that I went to school with were dropping like flies, man. They were just passing here and there. Drugs, car accidents, drinking and driving. And I knew that wasn't going to be the life I wanted to live. So I left and went and saw what was out in the world. And opened my eyes to a lot of things and like I said once I had kids this is where I want to raise my kids and so we're here until they're they're going <laughs> so uh what what branch of the military did you go into uh in the navy I started out as a storekeeper so it was pretty much the guy that works the counter at AutoZone yeah I handled all the parts I was actually handled the financials for the USS Paul F Foster which is a destroyer based out of Everett Washington and I ran the financial side, and I did the, it's called Dermo. It's parts for like, say you got a missile guidance system, you need a certain computer chip to go in that. Well, if that one goes bad, you give me that one and I go order you a new one. So it's like a core charge type deal, but we need that back before you can get that part. So I was in charge of those two programs. And at 18 years old, I was in charge of a $4 million budget. So How'd that so feel? It was intimidating at first, but then I was like, yeah. Just go with it, man. If got a job to do, do it. So I did um, two deployments on the ship before everything broke out. Uh, they call them unicorn cruises now because we just port hopped. We went to a different country every six days. And we just traveled around. I got to see a lot of stuff. And then I was in Washington doing an exercise with a SEAL team. And when we come into the debriefing room, we turned the TV on and saw the second plane hit the towers. Oh, shoot. So that ended the unicorn cruises, and that ended all the fun stories of being in the military. Yeah. Did you do anything after that? Yeah, I actually cross-rated. I changed my job, became a corpsman, um, and I was just intrigued. Once I got in on the ship, my 
chief that came aboard, Ron Huseman, he lives in Portland now. Uh, he just inspired me, man, to to go be a doc, to yeah. be that guy. And he had me reading all these books and telling me all these stories about being with Marines and everything. And it's the hospital corpsman is the only enlisted corps in the U.S. military, and they also have the highest number of Medal of Honor recipients than any other job in the military. Awesome. So um, a lot of great stories that I was introduced to by him, and it just inspired me to be a corpsman. It's, it's crazy how <clears throat> hearing somebody else's experiences, regardless of whether you may have that experience or not, that's still what kind of right. pushes you towards doing yeah, that. definitely. Um, not, like I said, I try to keep things positive on here, but what went through your head sitting on that ship watching 9-11 happen? Um, we were actually at Bangor Subbase. We were just in a regular building in a debriefing room, and um, it was eye-opening because we were kind of at peace at the time. I mean, there's always little conflicts going on everywhere, and we had got to be a part of some of those smaller conflicts before all that broke out. But, um, man, when we saw it, we just knew it was about to get real. Yeah. And we actually loaded up and we headed out that way within a week. And like I said, it, it became a different, interesting being over there for that versus okay. bouncing around to Thailand and Hawaii and Australia and Singapore and Thailand. So it's, um, it was a good time though. I would do it again. I hated that I got out. I cried like a baby actually when I got out. Um, I got out because of my kids. I had to take care of them. Single parent, two daughters. So, it was a uh, different. I was a lifer when I joined. I, I planned on retiring, and it was just a shock when I had to come out. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so you got to go to all these tropical. Oh yeah, I was a West Coast sailor, so we had all the fun ports, all Sick. the Pacific Islands and East Timor, American Samoan Islands, Pago Pago, like all the dream places to go. For beautiful scenery, nice weather, and beautiful women. I was gonna say, are they as nice as uh? As everybody says they are. As I would say, to I've me. been to 42 countries, and most all of them love Americans. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I've been to places that didn't care for Americans, but on the most part, I would say in, in the 90 percentile of all those countries, they love Americans. They like our money, too. They like <laughs> our money. They Like when we went to Thailand, if you had anything that said U.S. Navy or U.S. on it, like... They even wanted our dungarees, our uniforms that we wore on the ships. And you could trade it for beer, for a hut on the island for two or three days, Sick. trade Zippo lighters for a taxi for the whole time you were there. <clears throat> and it was just they wanted American stuff. Yeah. So when uh, you decided to change professions in the military, did you have to go through like any special training? I did. Uh, I had to go to a different school. Um, I went to Chicago to core school. And then from there, there's just... And especially as a corpsman, there's hundreds of schools you can go to. Like you can go be a pharmacy tech and just pass out pills for 20 years. Really? You want to do that. You'll never go anywhere, just to the hospitals and clinics. Um, I went to Greenside. I was with, um, before I went to core school, I was working as a corpsman. Um, they had already approved my cross rating and everything. I was just waiting on the school. And I transferred to NMCV 74 out of Gulfport, Mississippi. And they deployed twice. And so... By the time I got to core school, I already had like a heads up on most of the people there because they were either new into the military or they were cross-rating from other jobs on ships. So gotcha. I'd actually got boots on the ground and 
got hands-on experience. And Ron Hughesman, like I said in the beginning, he he helped me out so much because when I was on the ship, I decided then that's what I wanted to do. And I just, with my job, I guess I did it well enough that they let me have the time to go up there and work in medical. And I fell in love with it. So uh, were the tropical vacations over after yes. you swapped? Where did you get deployed to after that? Uh, I've been to Djibouti, Africa. We've been all over the Persian Gulf, um, Iraq, Kuwait, Afghanistan. So we've been around. Did going did going to those places kind of uh, change your perspective on how we have it here? Yes. Even before that, just traveling the world and going to third world countries and places that are not America, um, it's a very eye opening. Uh, when we went, we did a operation in. It's East Timor, but it's part of Indonesia, and they went through a civil war type conflict, and East Timor declared itself its own country. Well, when Indonesia pulled out, they destroyed everything. Like they, when we got there, they had like in a roundabouts in the road, there were these big angels blowing trumpets. Um, there's only two Cristos in the world, the big price, the one that's in Brazil, yeah. and the other one's there. Oh, really? And like those angels were just shot to pieces. Everything was destroyed, and we actually did a humanitarian mission out there, and um, we held security for other military members that were out there building. Um, they built an orphanage, some hospitals, clinics, stuff like that. I feel like the civil wars that happen in those third world con- countries, like like you just spoke about, like in Rwanda and everything, it takes such more of a toll over there than it would here. Oh, yeah. Just because their economies are nowhere, they can't touch ours. Right. And the way of life is so different. But... We want we want things fixed ASAP right. here. They they let us in ruin for God knows how long, if not for the rest of time. We actually think it's better here because we have access to everything. But it opened my eyes in ways that, if you look around, not everybody's miserable. But if you look around and dig deep in there, just dig a little bit into people. Most people are not really that happy, yeah. and the happiest people I've met in the world are the poorest people I've met in the world. Mm-hmm. And you go to these countries where they have nothing, and the smallest thing makes them happy. And here, it's I gotta have two hundred fifty thousand a year. I've gotta drive the new car. I gotta have the new fifteen hundred dollar iPhone. Just, I gotta have it all now. And it puts it would put one in debt if they needed all those things. And once you get in debt, I mean, any grown up in America knows if you have anything, you have debt. Yeah. And it can be taxing on the mind and body. Oh, uh, man. That's like seeing the pictures of the kids when somebody goes on a mission trip or right. just a humanitarian trip over there to like Africa. Um, you see the joy on those people's faces. It, people are ashamed to go to a food bank. If, if, because of here, the, yeah, yeah here they are. They feel like their economical standing should be higher. And uh, it really gives you appreciation for things. If all you got to do is stop for just one second, it's really hard to do in today's society when you can just stop for just a minute. You really appreciate what you have. Exactly. Or you're absolutely miserable as hell yep. and hate your life. And yeah. I get in trouble all the time with my wife. She's she's like, you don't you don't care about money at all. It's like I really don't. I said I don't need it to live. I don't need it to be happy. Yeah. I got hurt one. I need money, you know? Yeah. She makes me happy enough. My kids make me happy enough. I don't need two hundred thousand dollars a year. I don't need a large bank account or a fancy car. I mean, I just bought my first new truck. I really wish I didn't buy it. Yeah. I mean, 
I love my Toyota Tacoma. It's great truck. Go down and see Scott Crump. That's where I got that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do we do some free ads here, so there's you one. There's mine. Um, but man, it's I'm happy traveling. Yeah. Uh, I love I like what I do. There's not I don't say love because there's not for I'm just like yeah. What the hell did That's I sign up done. for? That's but, yeah. Um, I love what I do as far as helping people because that's really what I'm doing is helping people. And that's the same with what you're doing. We'll get into that later. All right. But people find, people want happiness by financial standing. They think yep. that's what should. Or material things. Yes. Yeah. I got to have this to be happy. You don't. But when you get that car note that's two grand a month and you've got that Italian sports car yeah. that you wanted. And then that new $350,000 house or that $500,000 lake house. Are you happy? No, you're not. Because now, now you, you got to worry about where's this money going to come from. Yeah, how hard There's am I going to have to work? If the COVID hits and shuts everything down, how am I going to afford this five hundred thousand dollar lake house? Exactly. I don't have to worry about that. People would rather portray happiness than actually seek out this is true happiness. Very true, man. Like my the happiest I am is sitting in the backyard with my wife, just chilling, drinking yeah. a natty lot. That's always my free ad right there. Maybe they'll sponsor me one day. Maybe but, that'd uh, be a good sponsor. Uh, that's that's when I'm happiest. Or if we're in the car driving somewhere, uh, we're taking a ten hour road trip. No, it's just a drive. We're going to Florida, but like my favorite part of that trip is going to be driving down there, just hanging out with my wife in the truck, just talking. That's that's the I feel like that's the kind of happiness people right. really need to seek out is just do what makes you happy. Even with that though, people are going to be like, "Well, I got to have." a new Mercedes to have this moment of joy with my wife and yeah. you don't. I, I've owned a lot of vehicles. My favorite vehicle I've ever owned was a 72 Volkswagen Super Beetle. Yeah. You have to drive that car. Like now I just, I, I'm so bored driving Yeah, when I drive my new truck. It's, everything's just right there. You have the comfort of everything. You can drive with one finger. You can set cruise. I mean, you don't really have to do anything yeah. but just look out for people. Pay attention, turn a blinker on every now and then. Walker County. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yes. People don't use blinkers. We use free ads for blinkers here, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, you don't. You can, like my daughter just turned 16. Yeah. And she wants a vehicle. And when she was 15, I was like, what about this car? What about this guy? I don't like that. I don't like that. As soon as she got her license, I was like, she was like, I'll take anything. Yeah. So I told her it's better for us to buy a good older vehicle that we can fix, no problem. I can show her everything, and that's knowledge she's always going to have. Like I told you before we started this, knowledge is always best shared. So that's something she'll always have with her. She don't have to go to a mechanic shop where they're known for taking advantage of women and charge them for stupid stuff that yeah. they don't even need. And it makes her more independent, and that's something we can do together. I mean, that's a memory you'll always have. And it's crazy that you – you kind of add that worry in when you have children that start driving because right. I'm sure my parents, my brother drives like a idiot. There's no way around it. And I'm the conservative driver. My wife gives me shit because I go to speed limit. I, right. I don't fly unless I'm late to work. But that added worry into that, why would you want extra worry as far as trying to find the happiness? Like, right. you've got other things you need to be worrying about other than people thinking, oh, like, they're driving a Ford Focus. Right. And I need to be driving a Mercedes. Well, another thing, like you said, one of the times that makes you happy is being in the car, just traveling and talking with your wife. 
But say you take that new vehicle out of the equation. I don't, I don't really know what you drive, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you drive a newer model vehicle. has all the comforts of today. But say you guys bought an older vehicle. A couple hundred bucks, maybe 1500 bucks, you can buy a decent vehicle. Yeah. And y'all worked on it together. You know, took off in it together. And that's just more, that's adding more to those good times that you're going to have. Right. Those priceless moments. Instead of buying that new vehicle, which you need all these fancy gadgets and gadgets to work on. So now you got to take it somewhere and they're going to charge you even more money. Now you have to worry about coming up with that money. Yeah. So it's just adding more stress to your life. Um, we're, we live in a time now where nothing's fixed. We just throw it away and get new. Exactly. And when I was raised, the way my father raised us, he was um, airborne in the army. He was in a parachuting accident, hundred uh, percent disabled and retired. Anyway, when we were kids, the only thing my dad would buy food-wise was canned foods, soups, and he would buy flour and sugar. Yeah. Everything else we had to grow, we had to hunt, we had to fish. We learned how to live in case everything went down. And I remember my uncle used to come down and tell my dad, like, you're just too strict on them, you're too hard on them, let them get out and, you know, be kids. And he really worked us hard, but how we turned out versus how our friends turned out, and even some of our family members turned out. It's not that we didn't have trouble to get into. We were just afraid to get in trouble. Yeah. And when we had free time, that's exactly what it was, free time. I fought a lot as a kid because I didn't want you to interrupt my free time. It was the only time I had to get out and be a kid because I was working in a garden. I was hunting or fishing. I was cleaning the house. But my dad was so strict, you know, when you vacuum the carpets, the lines it leaves, you couldn't have lines in the floor. No, I mean, shit. he was straight up military by the book. And, but it, it molded me and my brothers into the people we turned out to be. Yeah. I've only known you for a little bit, stand up guys. So. Oh, thanks, man. It's very small percentage of the United States. I was just saying the United States. It still lives like that. Just hardcore it discipline is. and uh, learning to live off the land. I only fish for bass, so. and oh, bass is. I don't, I don't like eating, I don't like eating largemouth. Yeah, crappie's my favorite to eat, yeah. but bass is. I'll go bass fishing you day. Heck yeah, man. As you can see, sitting here behind, yep, behind me. Much uh, the same way. So, uh, but going back to the military and stuff, did you ever have, I know you said you were a lifer, or planned to be a lifer, but what went through your head when you were like, I do need to go out? Um, I was kind of, okay, so you have your discharge, honorable discharge, and dishonorable discharge. And the discharge I got was a hardship discharge, honorable with a hardship discharge. Um, not to get too personal, my wife at the time had some issues. My kid's mother had some issues, and I had to be home all the time. And the Navy actually tried everything they could. They gave me like five, six months off paid. I was just staying home, taking care of my kids, hoping my wife would get better at the time. And after that, they were like, dude, she's not better, and you've got two kids to take care of. And the job I had was one of the highest employing jobs. Um, they always need medics. Yeah. Um, the Marines don't have medical personnel, so they use Navy corpsmen. Uh, the CBs use Navy corpsmen. All the ships got to have Navy corpsmen. All the bases got to have them. So we're in high demand. And at the time, you know, we were getting deployed all the time. So um, they just told me to get out, told me I could come back in once everything got fixed or settled or whatever had to happen. And, um, actually was going to join back up and fly helicopters. Did all the paperwork and actually had a good letter of recommendation from the high up in the state and 
when I took it. They told me I was too old at first, so I got that letter um, from one of the senators, and they were like, this is a trump card. we got to take you now. I was like, can't tell the senator no, because, you know, National Guards are ran by state. Yeah. And um, when I got approved for everything, I was getting ready to leave, and one of my friends was like, hey, this helicopter school here takes the GI Bill 100%. So I was like, eh, get yelled at, go fly helicopters. Or just go fly helicopters. <laughs> so um, I don't know if you know much about the helicopter program in the Army, but or the National Guard, the Army, kind of same thing. Um, but Warrant Officer School is a pretty intense school, and then the flight training is a pretty intense school also. Yeah. So it's a lot of in your face. And at the time, I was like, ah, I'm 35, 34, something like that. Do I really want to go back in and get yelled at all the time? And I didn't. So I went and went to school in Coleman. Start flying helicopters. Really? That's one of the funnest things I've ever done. Awesome. Do you, ever, do you still fly in? Yeah. Um, every now and then. Not often. Once I started flying helicopters, I discovered how expensive helicopters are. <laughs> yeah. So I should have went into fixed wing, but I'm going to add fixed wing on probably next year or year after. But for $15,000, I can go buy a plane and fly anywhere I want to down here. Uh, for $250,000, I can buy a two-seater helicopter. Jesus, man. So it's wild. Uh, yeah. And if you get any, if you start getting into turbine engines and something you can carry people in, you're going to pay two, three million dollars for those. So, so these people use financially. I mean, I don't have two or three million dollars for yeah. a helicopter yet, or anything. So these celebrities million dollars about anything. Yeah. Yes, dang. The helicopters that a lot of them fly that the EU one thirty Eurocopter, and that's like a five million dollar bird face Shoot. package. And they get them decked out. So yeah. they're flying those or jet rangers like what you see, uh, your airy backs fly, stuff like that. Yeah. And they're paying millions and millions of dollars for those. So just for a base model set up to just fly people on a bench seat, you see how they got them tricked out with leather and little mini bars and all the fancy stuff yeah. that rich people like to have. But, I mean, they're paying God off of That's crazy. For those helicopters. So that probably also explains why the, uh, okay, you get evac somewhere. Yes. That's why your bill is out the roof, man. Yes. Um, maintenance much... on a helicopter is one of the most expensive things um, other than buying one. Yeah. So for what you can maintain a whole airplane for, you could probably get two maintenance out of a helicopter. That's wild. So you talked about uh, commercial diving. Yeah. I, um, once I got out of the Navy, like I said, it was a hard time in my life. Didn't know what I wanted to do. My brother was a cop at Irondale, um, just outside of Birmingham, and he got me on over there. Thought I wanted to do the cop thing, you know, helping people. So I became a foreman to help people, save lives, do what I can. And I was like, I could still help people by being a cop. And then I became employed there. And I was like, <laughs> this is not for me. Yeah. Um, it just, it didn't sit right with me. So I left that and I went to actually open a gym here in Jasper um, and decided to go to dive school after that. Uh, when I got out of the military, I had some family issues going on, and I worked in an ICU at Naval Hospital Jacksonville for my last year in the military, the last six, eight months. And um, I was just eating all the time, and I love food. And I went from a very high-caloric, demanding job, always on the ground, always moving. Um, I was a pretty lean guy then, and then I got some knee injuries. I was like, man, I'm just hurting. I'm going to sit around and eat hot dogs and candy all day. <laughs> and eating a family pack of Reese's Cups every night before bed, will take you from about 175-ish to 300 in no time. Yeah. So first time I hit 300 pounds uh, when I got out the military. And 
So I didn't have anywhere that I could train here because I, once I joined the military, I always trained martial arts. Like I traveled around every place I would go to, I would look for a gym and train jujitsu. Let me step that back. I didn't train jujitsu in a gi. The first time I trained in jujitsu in a gi was actually in Louisiana. And, um, and I traveled around and did a lot of no gi grappling, submission wrestling, stuff like that, striking. And I wanted that here. When I got out, it just wasn't nowhere here. So I opened a place uh, with a partner. We kind of bumped heads when I left for dive school. And so I left for dive school, started doing commercial diving. And I don't know if you know how that works, but you go to dive school you pay a lot of money to learn how to work underwater and then for like your first three years out of that school you just stand on a deck of a ship and hold somebody's hose as they're diving and working underwater that's about the average time three to five years to break out as a diver um i actually broke out as a diver in six months sick thing about today is it's not hard to outwork people if you just put a little bit of effort in we live in a very lazy society today, like you was talking about earlier. Everybody Preach. wants everything now, and if something breaks, they just throw it away and get something new. That mentality has plagued the United States. So if you go out there and you want to get ahead in any job, just go out there and put a small amount of effort in it, and you're going to outwork most of the people that's in that field. Yeah. And I just went out there with what my dad had taught me how to work and how to be respectful and honorable person, and I took that to the whole field with me and started diving and like I said, within six months, I broke out as Diver 2, so I skipped Diver 3, who's usually just a standby diver in case something happens, they go down and take an extra air hose, or, you know, any any emergency situation. So most of the time, you're just sitting there dressed out to go in and get in the water, and you're on a deck out in the Gulf of Mexico where it's 150 degrees, and you sweat to death all day. So you're working for oil rigs? I worked on bridges, dams, oil rigs, pipelines, anything underwater. We worked yeah. on it. Did salvage jobs. I still do salvage jobs locally sometimes for insurance companies and stuff. Like, say, a boat sinks on Smith Lake. Most of your divers around here that do that type of work, they're only going to go to a certain depth because yeah. they're they're running on scuba tanks. So I'm used to working those deep depths, and I go down there and find their, their boats. Most insurance companies now, if you have an incident on a boat and it sinks or burns or anything, they want to see that boat yeah. before they pay you. So that's wild. Um, I've raised a few of the big boats that the, the local guys are so, I used to do it. So. What's the deepest you've been on Smith? Uh, I think I went down to like 240, 238, something like that. Pretty. Like, is it hard to find the boats getting? Because, um, you know, they're still If you don't city, have experience though. doing it and don't know the rhyme and reason of finding lost things underwater, then it can be very challenging. But I come from working offshore and working in the Mississippi River, which is one of the hardest places to dive because of the current. You have no visibility. And, I mean, they find tiger sharks up in north of, you know, north of us here. Yeah. Where it's supposed to be cold and no sharks. So, you don't know what you're going to get into in there. Uh, it's always hazardous getting into the Mississippi River. So, I did a lot of salvage work there. And coming up to the lake is cakewalk for me. Yeah. I'm not trying to brag or anything. It's just, <laughs> once you're used to working in that current cold water. I mean, we did a job in Pennsylvania. I remember right after Thanksgiving. We're in the Poconos Mountains, so it's snowing everywhere. We had to break the ice so I could get in the water. I went down and placed some stop logs. We were working on uh, the gates on a dam. I had to replace one of the pistons. And um, so I went in and set the stop logs, and that's just logs we set on the gate so we can lower it down, know it's all the way on bottom, and it gives us the plate to remove all the parts on top. 
anyway, broke the ice, got in. When I went to get out, I had to wait for like five minutes for them to break back through the ice. Dang. It was freezing cold up there. But, you know, people are like, how do you work in that cold weather? Because all I hear while I'm at work is chitching, chitching, chitching. Yeah. I mean, they tell you, you hear the myths of what divers make. And, you know, some of it's false. Some of it's true. It's a, uh, we may not get paid this huge hourly wage, but all the little pays that we get. So, like, I work for an oil company or a dive company out of Louisiana. I got a set rate of any of my jobs in Louisiana was $32 an hour. But if I burnt one rod, if I had to cut something underwater, I got 25 bucks. If I had to weld one stick, I got 25 bucks. I got a dollar per foot of water depth, and it went up a dollar every 50 feet. A lot of your jobs offshore is 240, 250, 230. And every day I get in the water, I get that depth pay. So if I'm doing a job for 40 days, I'm diving at 240 every day. That adds up to a hefty sum on top of that $32 an hour. Man. So anybody that wants to dive for a living, go find Jason Darty. He'll give you the lowdown. I may change your mind. Yeah. (laughs) I love the job. It's one of the greatest jobs I've ever done outside of being a foreman. But industry sport yeah so i may go work for nine months straight without a day off come home for two days and go work for another six months come home for nine months without a job and wait for the next job Man. so it's 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 hit or miss and it's very inconsistent yeah. but you make enough money in the times you do work if you manage your money properly then it doesn't matter if you manage you can your take money properly. that nine month vacation yeah yeah so uh which divers don't manage their money really the Smith, uh, Smith Lake. Have you? Have, was there anything wild you saw? Um, you don't really see much after, I'd say, about thirty feet, twenty-five feet. It's and the thermal climbs go high in the water table in Smith Lake. So that's where the temperature changes. And in Smith Lake, it's a big drop. So once you get down thirty, forty feet, and it's it's a chill down your spine. Really, but then that's about the average all the way to the bottom. Uh, there's trees down there that are. 40, 50 feet tall that you can run into. Uh, there's actually structures that we ran into, like barns and all kinds really? of stuff where they flooded the area. Yeah. And so it's a it's a dangerous dive, but compared to all dive, it's dangerous. Compared to other stuff I've done working on, it's not that bad. It kind of gives you a perspective because you hear about people going missing. We'll just talk about locally on Smith oh, yeah. Lake all the time yeah. and how, how hard it is to find them. And you see these sonar images and you're like, I, re- I kind of really want to know how it really looks down there because um, you hear about, uh, like I said, I try not to get too dark right. in here, but you hear about the people's bodies getting and, into a tree right. that you, they'd never be found. Yeah, that's um, that's true. And with today's technology, if you look at like some of the um, charts and stuff that bass boats have, uh, side scan sonar, which is used to be pretty much military only, yeah. and then had to be you had to have a lot of money to have that and you could get it for some tugboats would get it and you know you'd have to have deep pockets to get stuff like that but now you can go buy one at Bass Pro Shop for a couple hundred bucks yeah so um we're a very advanced nation so we have stuff like that that helps us out but you know I started the way we were diving when I was doing it for work it was the old school way get in go out so far do a big circle go out a little bit further do a big circle and you just search the whole area until you find what you're looking for that's crazy. See, a lot of people forget that there was just an entire city. Under, almost every lake, there was a city or a town somewhere along the way. There goes lakes. Buried in water. That's crazy. 
Um, yeah, we use, um, I mean, it's probably not politically correct, but we call it the Helen Keller method when you're diving. Because you can't see, especially like the Mississippi River, Smith Lake, once you get down you know, 20, 30 feet, you can't see anything. Yeah. And there's times I was working in the Mississippi after some of these storms, and you could have a white glove on and be patting your face shield and still not be able to see it clear. That's crazy. And when we would do um, testing on bridges and dams and stuff, we would have to take these boxes down there if we were going to take a photo of something, and that box would be filled with tap water, clear water. Yeah. And our camera would be in that, and you just have to stick it to whatever you're, you need to take a photo of and take your picture through that clear water because you wouldn't see anything. Um, we use a light that's actually so bright that if you don't turn it off at 10 feet of water depth, it'll melt the lens. Um, that's how hot that light burns. Still at 100 feet, you're not seeing anything. That that kind of gives you a perspective as to the ocean, too. Is the ocean's thousands of feet deep. Yes. And, and one thing I loved about diving, and same with being a corpsman, I've been an adrenaline ducky pretty much my whole life. I've always loved to push the, the limits. And um, with diving... One thing that just drew me to it was you're not the top of the food chain when you go to work. Yeah, that's what was my and, next question. <laughs> and also in diving, you get one mistake. Because yeah. if something happens, say I'm doing crane operations, I'm working at 150 feet of water on the Gulf of Mexico, and something happens, that crane loses its load and cuts my airline into, I've got a bailout bottle, an air tank that'll last me 32 minutes. And then I gotta, if you don't find me in 32 minutes, you know how hard it is to find somebody five foot nine in the Gulf of Mexico <laughs> at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, you can be anywhere. So you get one mistake and that's it. That's the only one you get. That's the end of it. So I love that about that job. And I love that about being a corpsman. You know, somebody goes down, they got a saying, um, before mom or God, Marines call for doc first. So and just being out there, no, I gotta save this guy. I got one chance, and if I'm wrong, you know, it's my life. Yeah. So I love that about that. I love that about diving. I love that about riding motorcycles. <laughs> I love that about flying helicopters. Just I love being on that line, and it's that's where I'm my calmness. That's where I'm at ease, and it kind of gives you that uh, respect for the old school mentality, yeah. like the pictures you see of. These construction workers sitting out on a beam hanging over yeah. the city, hundreds of feet up Building in the air. Empire State Building, yeah. no ropes, just like, free walking these beams, that's hundreds of feet up. One mistake, just yeah. like you said, if one that, mistake. If I lived in that time, I would have probably worked on that building. Yeah. I mean, that's just something draws me to that lifestyle. Yeah, you just like living on the edge. So the question I was going to ask you is, you kind of pointed out, uh, you're not the top of the food chain down there. Is there like any thoughts going through your head like, uh, oh, yeah. Great white could come snap me up. Or... It's, um, and I'm nobody special. I'm just a kid from Walker County, Alabama, but it's the mental aspect that gets you. Like we were doing this job, a company I worked for in Kentucky, they had a job every year. They went to Metropolis, Illinois. They have a huge statue of Superman right in the middle of town. It's pretty neat. Uh, but there's a casino there, and it's on the river. And But they have a law. If that casino barge touches the bottom of the river, they get fined. If it touches ground at all, they get fine. Yeah. So every year we go out there and clean out like pole trees, all kind of debris, and you'd be amazed at the stuff we found under there. And um, we would have new divers coming in because we need a lot of divers for that job. So they would get people right out of dive school or people was just needing work at the time. And they get in that dark water, man, and they just freak out. Yeah. Like, a lot of these dive schools, except for the one I went to in Florida, we dove in the St. John's River, which is 
murky water, hot current all the time. And that's where we learn to dive versus a school in Wash, uh, Washington State that you dive in the pool. So who's going to be better for that job? More pe- more divers get hired from the school I went to just because we had that experience because we dove in hot currents and murky water. So they didn't want people that's just been in a tank their whole life in clear water or their whole time diving. So it's just something about it when you get out there. It's, it's the adrenaline, man. The adrenaline. That's what's run, what you're running off of, So basically. I was doing a job in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for Exxon at their um, refinery. Mm. And they have a big pier, probably a mile long, uh, where they bring all the barges in with the oil and all, everything they use there. Anyway, we were out there inspecting the pier, and it's maybe 70 feet deep there. And I'm holding on to one of the pylons on the, on the pier with two hands, and I got my foot on it. And I use my other foot as I'm going down the pylon to search so I don't get a tree limb or anything. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I sat on something. I don't know what it was. It could have been a shark. It was something big. And when it shot out from between, I straddled it. Like, I'm going down that one foot back. <laughs> and when I felt the fish, yeah. it was on my crotch. And when it swam out from between my legs, it bruised both of my legs from probably about five inches above my knees to my ankles. It whipped the crap out of me. Dang, dude. And then another job we were doing in Louisiana, um, Lake Salvador, I stepped on an alligator. And it whipped me across my shins with its tail. We're in like eight foot of water. And I thought I broke my legs. (laughs) Like my legs were bruised up so bad from where the alligator hit me. Uh, So, yeah, you're... You never know what you're going to come across. You don't know what's underwater. I mean, most of the world's water yeah. that hasn't been explored yet. So you don't know what's down there. That's wild. That's wild to think about and the mystery of what was between your legs that could have bruised yeah. you so bad. I didn't okay. stick around to find out. I no, for it. I was I not. Like, eh, I think I'll go on down this pole here. And surprised you didn't. Continue my job. I would have kept moving the first time. I would have felt it. That job we were doing in Illinois. Um, we had some kids right out of dive school. I say kids, they were 20 years old, 18, 19. And um, this one kid's from Texas. And I don't know if you met one person from Texas, you met them all. Everything's bigger has, and better yeah. in Texas. And that's all this kid was talking about. Oh, Texas this, Texas that. Everything's better in Texas. He does his first dive. And we got a line that goes down. You just follow the line down to your tools and start blowing mud with high pressure water. And you're just digging a hole, making it deeper. Anyway, he's on that down line. And... I'm diving with him, and we got intercom so we can talk to each other, and we can talk to the guys up top. He starts getting down that down line, and you could hear in his voice that it, he was already scared. Yeah. And then I just get the microphone on my helmet. I go, <laughs> about the third time I did that, he was like, if y'all don't get me out of the water, I'm about to take this hat off and try to swim out myself. <laughs> and that had to pull him up, and he quit. But Dang. It's just, you ever been in a pitch black room, and you didn't know what was in there, and you knew you went in the top of the food chain and yeah. something in there could kill you. So it's it takes a strong mind to do stuff like that. And like I said, it's just something I love to do. Same job in Illinois. Uh, a barge hit a train trestle. So they called us over for emergency inspection. And while I'm down there, I, I come across this body. I don't know how long it's been down there. Yeah. But there was a girl that started working for the company. And it was like her third or fourth week. And she was doing okay. She was a good worker. When I found the body, it was one of my first body to find, so I was like, hey, send me some rope down on my umbilical cord, which is our air hose that keeps us alive, so it's called umbilical cord. And um, 
I was like, what'd you find? I was like, I don't know yet. Just send the line down. I'm going to send it up. <laughs> and I tied this guy by his, right under his shoulder. So when he come up, he was in the Jesus pose, his arms yeah. out. I could hear her screaming 40 feet under the water. She quit that day. <laughs> Making people quit their jobs, man. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's a tough industry, so you need tough people in it. Yeah. I mean, if you can't handle the job, do you? Do I really want you as my standby diver? If something happens and I need somebody to come help me exactly. in a bad situation, do I want somebody that's not mentally prepared for stuff like that? Yeah. No, I need somebody that can stay in and do the work that needs to be done. You're going into a... a place where you don't know what you're going to find. So you no have to be mentally tough for yeah. that. You can, like you said, you can find a body. Uh, find an alligator. Find yeah. a shark. You can find something that could eat you while you're yeah. down there. But at the same time, you could you can well, find something that could also attribute to society. Like, yeah. oh, how's this dude murdered? Okay, well, you're shutting down a crime yeah. ring next thing Here's you Here's know. Atlantis. Yeah. I found it. It's the, the chain of life. Like, But uh, it's... When you get down there, though, it's so peaceful. All you hear is the... And that's all. You, unless somebody interrupts you on the phone, you're like, "Shut up!" I'm trying to work out here. Yeah, I've got my best sleep underwater. We were doing uh, the first time I found out that I slept well underwater. We were doing a job in Florida, and I'm the type of guy that I'm not going to ride the clock. I want to get my job done, and that's helped me out in my life a lot. But I got to this job and I knocked it out. They had it planned for like a day and a half. Two hours to do it. So the supervisor at the time, he was like, "Man, I, you just got to stay down there because there's you know company people here and got at least appear appear like we're working." So I went down there. We got a vent that clears the fog out of your mask, and I cracked it open. It's like having air conditioner just blowing in your face. Yeah. Um, I took an air tool down there, so when I turned it on, it was blowing bubbles, so it looked like I was working. Found me a spot right under the bridge. <laughs> Put my leg up on that hair tool so it was blowing bubbles, and I slept for like four hours. Dang. And it was some of the best sleep I ever got. I mean, anything could have came by and ate me, but I was sleeping like a baby. We were talking about how you struggle to sleep. Maybe that's a maybe that's your fix. I, I, sleep, I found out I sleep well underwater and in a hammock or out in the woods. Yeah. Somewhere where I'd know that anything can get me, I'll sleep like a baby. If a tornado comes through, I'll sleep like a baby. <laughs> uh, I live in Carbon Hill where the tornado I watched it go across the street yeah. and tear everything up across the street from my house and I watched it on that you got flip flops on they're just walking so slowly you get the storm cell I'm like oh, wow, there's a tornado right there it's yeah. not even at us it's just 100 yards away you live for the adrenaline it, it doesn't affect I don't get that rush of urgency that I've got to do this right now yeah. with anything and it's good and bad um, paperwork at the business it can be bad yeah <laughs> um, but just in any kind of hectic situation it's, it's good so you're a master of controlling your mind your emotions i try to be i work on it a lot i mean ever since i was a teenager that's just one thing i've always wanted to master was my mind yeah. and that's one of the hardest things there is to master you in this reach come on man and um i think i've done a great job at it yeah um, people always tell me you know crazy for doing the stuff I do. My dad would rag me all the time. He's like, man, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. It's so dangerous. I was like, no, that's where I'm at peace. That's where I'm calm. That's where everything else is just canceled out of the world. No matter what problems you have, when you go work at 240 feet under the ocean, you can't think about any of that stuff. You have to focus on task at hand or it's your life. You don't have to worry about it no more if you're wrong. So while I sat there underwater, while your life's in jeopardy, 
and stress about all that stuff when one mistake and you don't have to worry about it no more. Exactly. It's somebody else's problem. Yeah. So I've always been good at just clearing my mind in all these wild situations. I've rode downhill mountain bike and snowboard, BMX bike. Man, I rode with a lot of pros and when I lived in Seattle. Um, just anything that pushes that envelope. But now, I would say when I hit about 33, I just don't have that rush anymore. I still search for it. But it's uh, you hear addicts talk about it like their first hit a crack and they're always chasing that high. And my whole life I've chased that adrenaline high. And a few things still get it up a little bit, but I don't get that rush like some of the deployments we had or some of the incidents I've had diving. It seems like it's just dying off. Yeah. I think I've worn my adrenal glands out. <laughs> <laughs> Which your job now uh, is a little more safe, but you still you keep your head clear. You're teaching, it is. You're teaching others to keep their head clear yeah. in stressful situations. Uh, I think that's the number one thing about jujitsu is it teaches you how to be calm in pure health. Yeah. I mean, you might not think it's pure health, but we got some cats that's 300 pounds, and when you weigh 100, we got some cats that weigh 140 pounds. So when you got a 300 pound man on top of a 140 pound man, the 140 pound man will freak out for a while. I mean, it takes them a little bit to, to find that calm, but I help them and we master. We get over it together, and I mean, I'll, man, I have such a great group of guys at my gym that um, you'll go in there and you'll see man, the crap we put them through on the mask. Yeah. You're like, how do you stay calm and focused through all that to think about all those moves to do? Because jiu-jitsu is endless amount of moves. I mean, there's millions upon millions yeah. of moves, and you find that piece to where you don't have to think about anything. You just go with the flow. And that's what I, I mean. That's one thing I try to pound into my students from the time they start is Bruce Lee said, yeah, too many mind. That's you put too much mind into it, too much thought process. Just stay calm, worry about task at hand. Don't worry about the bills paid. Don't worry about your wife being mad because you can take the garbage out. All you can focus on and be good at jujitsu is jujitsu. And once you master that, man, every problem you run into once you leave that gym. You're the calmest guy out there. Yeah. Um, you could go into, say, Walmart, and they have a mass shooting, and you'll be one of the few that's not in there freaking out. You'll be like, all right, problem at hand. Let's see what the situation is. Let me see how I get out of this. And you'll be focused, and you'll get through that situation with better chances than people that don't train crap. What led you to opening up a gym here? You're um, well, I was working in Louisiana diving. The guy that ran our uh, shop that loaded all of our gear and everything for the jobs, uh, his name's Dustin, great friend of mine. I love that guy to death. Um, he was like, he heard me talking about training all over, and you know, I had that MMA gym here for a little bit. And he was like, I got to introduce you to this Brazilian guy. He's like, he's awesome. I trained under him for a couple for a year or so, so I just got busy with work and life, and I haven't been training. But I want you to meet him. And the first time I met Rafael, which is my professor. Um, who's the first guy to put a, show me how to put a gi on. He tied my white belt because I didn't know how to do it. And, man, man crushing here. But I fell in love with the guy. And we had a conversation recently, and I was like, one of the reasons that I have so much love for Hoppiel, because it, it, if Hoppiel and I had a disagreement, I know that I could go see him in person, and we could figure it out any way we needed to. I think that's one thing that's lacking in society today, that we can't just figure our problems out on our own. Yeah. You know what I mean? Needs um, on our hands. We get, 
I could talk it out with him. We could fight it out. We could argue it out. Whatever. We could yell at each other. We could punch each other. I mean, it doesn't matter. But when I leave him, I know that we had no longer have a problem. Right. So that's just one thing I've always liked about him. And he's a, he's a brutally honest guy. Um, a lot of people, when I first started training in there about 10 years ago, um, they was like, man, he's such an asshole. <laughs> I was just like, you know, he's Brazilian. He's from a different country where they're very blunt people. I don't know if you've been outside the U.S. a lot, but we sugarcoat everything here. Too much. Yeah, from our drinks to our food to the way we talk. Yeah. And now with all the political correctness that's going on, nowhere else in the world does that. And mm. especially in Brazil, they're, they're honest people. I haven't met a Brazilian person yet that wouldn't tell you exactly how they felt about you at yeah. that moment. So you, your your uh, gym is actually like in a popping place at the time. Yeah, we're downtown right downtown, downtown um, right next to Los Reyes. Um, I opened up, my first location was right next to Domino's. They have a title, or the old Domino's, where the yeah. title pond or whatever is there, cash and vape store or something. Yeah. I don't know what's there now, but I got that location it was a little bit big for Walker County at the time. So um, I actually talked to a guy that had one of the CrossFit gyms here, and I never wanted a partner in business. Um, my wife's about the only partner that I can take in anything right now. So um, I, I just do better by myself. And I let him talk me into it. And we kind of bumped heads a little bit. And so I moved from where Audi is now to the little shopping center behind it. And I was there for a couple of years. And when I had enough students to afford a place downtown, man, I've always invested anything I've made in the gym. I invest it back into the gyms so my students have a better experience. And it paid off. I mean, we just moved yeah. downtown and the gym grew. I mean, pretty big gym now. We have, we have a good number of students for the town of Jasper. And when I first opened up, it was kind of slow. I was very young in the art. But... I've always been that person. I can see something and I got it. So I could see somebody do a jujitsu move and I just understood it. I understood how it worked. I've always broke things down to the mechanical aspect, even the body, the way I teach, I teach it based on body mechanics. Yeah. If you can control the body, then smithing is easy. So, um, we got in here, downtown Jasper, the gym blew up, uh, started doing really well, started investing all my money back into the gym We've got a pretty nice location down there. It's a, the building's over 100 years old. I've actually got a picture from where it was all dirt roads right through the downtown area by the courthouse. Yeah. So, I mean, that building's it's been many things. And we got in there, kept it all old. The original floor is there. The original brick are showing. I just love being in that gym. I can go to that gym when there's nobody there and just sit there and meditate and be yeah. alone with the world. It's so peaceful there. And then the group of people that we've brought in, like I told you earlier, I've, I've never done any advertisements. I've checked in on Facebook and made a couple of Facebook posts and I've caught flag from it from our other gym owners because they're all advertising. They may have a little bit more students, but Walker County doesn't have good numbers. So we have a small population. We have a low average income for number one in the U S for unhealthy people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a big drug problem. So all those work against my business. But like I said, by not doing advertising, I just put everything I can into the people that are there. And then they like, man, I like the way this guy treats us. He's teaching us good stuff. We win competitions all the time. I mean, 
what I teach works. I used to compete a lot. I had some surgeries, um, so I haven't competed in a little bit, but I'm getting back into it now. But I competed to show the people that were there training with me that the knowledge I had worked. Right. And, and you go in the gym, I'm not trying to brag or anything, I'm, but there's a wall of gold medals there for a reason. I mean, our program works. And once I proved to them that it worked, they had more confidence in their self and in where they were. And we're still putting out champions to this day, man. I opened my third location in November of last year, the end of November, in Gardendale. And as soon as it got prime time, like the worst time for my business is November, December. Because everybody's buying Christmas and doing holiday stuff and out of town. So you don't sign up a lot of people. But we started doing decent right out the gate over there. I mean, people just coming by as we was building it up. I'd see somebody looking in the window. I'd go out there and talk to them. I like to talk to people. Again, knowledge is best shared, right? Yeah. So I would just go out in the parking lot and talking to people, man. We we actually broke even very quick over there. Uh, we got to a good spot where I wasn't having to worry about where I was going to have to go do a side job or something. Uh, uh, when I first opened the Jasper location, I didn't have the students to pay the bills, so I worked at Posey's, the hardware store downtown, and man, I love those people to death. I don't know if you know the Posey family there, but very good people. Uh, Randy, Janice. Uh, you just can't you gotta be go people. in there and not love them. Yeah. Um, and I loved working there. I helped them out a lot. Um, but then when the business started doing good, again, I invested back in the business. I put more time, more classes, and got to where I could open my second location in Winfield. Again, not a lot of research. I did research. The numbers weren't there. It was actually, most people probably wouldn't open there. But I opened there. I mean, the gym's not making no money or anything, so I'm not paying any bills off of it you know what i mean i'm not yeah. buying that lamborghini because i got that location <laughs> but it it runs itself i have such a good group of kids there and a good group of adults that even if i had to pay the power bill out of my pocket and go work somewhere i would still keep that location open just because of those few people who train there um jiu-jitsu you, you build some of your greatest relationships in jiu-jitsu and because I mean, I'm sure you know a ton of people and you have a number of friends. Yeah. How many of those friends loan you their neck for hours a few times a week <laughs> to learn how to choke them? Not many. Not many. <laughs> so when you find that group of people that's willing to sacrifice their body for you to better yourself, I mean, you, it's kind of in that situation where, I don't know if you heard the saying, but you know, if you want to move up in life, get with a group of people that's moving up in life. Right. Same reason I left open. If you hang around with people that's not going anywhere, you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I read a, a a quote the other day that's, you know, you're a certain percent like of the top five people you hang out with. So if you're hanging out with drug users and drug dealers and drunks and alcoholics and all that stuff, then you have a high chance that that's what you're going to turn out to be. So I left Oakman, joined the military because, I mean, not all people are good in the military. Not all people are good anywhere you go, but the majority of them are. Yeah. And the brotherhood that you gain watching somebody's back when people are shooting at you, you know, you can't match that anywhere. And the only place I found that was jiu-jitsu. So once I walked into Hopiel School in Hammond, Louisiana, and did my first class, I was 300 pounds, couldn't do the warm-up on blood pressure medicine, and they were about to start me on medicine for the diabetes. <laughs> and um, I was like, i got to change something. So that was the second time I was 300 pounds. Yeah. I don't know back up a little bit when you become a diver a broke out diver and you're doing all the work um say i go offshore uh 
I work a 12-hour shift. I get paid for a 12-hour shift. But my dive may be an hour. But once I do that dive, I can't do anything else. I can't even take a hot shower. I've got to off-gas and get all the inert gases out of my bloodstream or I can die. So once you get out of the water, you're not safe. Yeah. So I get paid for 12 hours. I work an hour underwater. I sit in a decompression chamber for 45 minutes to an hour. And then I play video games all day. <laughs> and divers have their own chef on most jobs. So I have a personal chef cooking me all the pasta I can eat. It's pretty much what I ate all the yeah. time. So I hit 300 pounds again. I went to Hopiel school. Couldn't do the warm-up first class. Thought I was going to die. Thought I was going to have a heart attack. 300 pounds, five foot nine. And you can picture that. Yeah. But once I made it through that first class, just the way Hopiel instructed the class, the knowledge I could see that he had, um, and just his personality. I was like, I'll be this guy for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, even in jujitsu now, like back in the day, it was it was still rare, but not as rare as it is now. But it's hard to find somebody that's got their white belt and their black belt from the same person. And that's one thing I take pride in. Uh, me and Hopiel's bumped heads a couple of times, but we've never had a thing where like I'm leaving. Yeah. You got to go. Nothing like that. Um, like I said, we can always figure out our problems and leave it there and then. We don't carry it along with us. So. Um, that guy changed my life. He saved my life. My dad just passed away in January at 500 pounds, five foot eight. Yeah. Like I said, he was in a parachute accident and blew his legs out. But I could see myself. I was in the military. I got knee injuries. My dad had knee injuries. It's 300 pounds. When my dad was about my age, he had hit about 300 pounds. So I could see that trend coming. And I tell Hoppy all the time, I'm like, dude, you saved my life. I mean, I love my dad to death. He's one of the greatest men that's ever been in my life. Most people say that about their dad, but he molded us into, like I said, what we are today. We work hard. We play hard. You know, we have that that sense of pride and honor that I think is lacking in America today in everything we do. So once I found Hoffio, I was like, you, you saved me from being that guy. So I mean, I'm with you for life. I'll yeah. fly your flag. I just, every time he's put out a flag, it's tattooed on my body. It's like, if you ever think I'm going to leave you, crazy, because I'm running out of room to get tattoos, so you got to, you know, pick pick your, the banner we're going to yeah. fly all the time. But, um, yeah, uh, we were Gracie Baja starting out when I started with him, and some business size things didn't, just kind of headbutting on that. So Hopiel left and started his own school, and, and we just took over the South. Yeah. Louisiana, Mississippi, we, we probably have more schools in the South than your top five teams do and we've been we've been a team for maybe seven years now and the number of world champions that we put out the number of local champions that we put out man it's, it's hard to find somebody to match it well see that's going back to uh you talking about you didn't want to brag about your medals and stuff but in reality that's your resume to your students uh, yeah to my students like you had a bunch of competed if you have a bunch of participation trophies up there yeah we well, they're gonna be like oh it's okay there's no like Placing trophies, this no. just showed he was there. Even, like, you can go to a jiu-jitsu competition, and you fight by age, weight, and belt. So, there may be 600 competitors at a show, but only two people in your division. So, you can lose and get a silver medal in that division. Or there may be three, and you lose and get a bronze. Yeah. But when cats bring me those bronze or that silver, and they all they did was lost a match, I take that thing and I just throw it. <laughs> so, I mean... Don't post about it. Don't brag about it. I mean, you went somewhere and lost. 
if you go there, I don't care if you have one fight and you win gold, you fought for that. That's something you earned. Yeah. But also, you can go there and have 12, 15 fights and win a medal. You can post that. You don't just get handed a medal and be like, oh, I've got all these medals. And you get points for medals, too, in the big competition of the, of the big circuit, IBJJF. So, I mean, you have cats that go around and just go to competitions that don't have anybody in their division. Like, oh, got gold this weekend. Come on, guy. Did you get gold? Yeah. Or did you buy gold? <laughs> right. It goes back to the honor and self-pride. I just, there's none in it. So, I don't, I don't want it thrown out there. But, so, Jiu-Jitsu teaches you how to trust each other and uh, be the master of your own it mind. It teaches you how to trust yourself. Yeah. Um, and... Most people in the world today, number one thing they're full of, self-doubt. So you're always doubting yourself, second-guessing yourself. You don't have time to second-guess yourself when you're next on the line. If you second-guess yourself, I'm choking you. I'm going to start over. I'm going to choke you again. Until you learn, like I said, to be calm in a intense situation, um, to address the problem at hand instead of the situation, you're just going to get choked all the time. Right. So, uh, for anybody listening, what would be like the a trigger point? I guess that says maybe I should look into this and uh, try give it a try. We do a week free. We offer a week free to come try it out. I think jujitsu is for everybody. Anybody and everybody can train jujitsu, but not everybody's going to do it because of the mental game of it. It's mentally one of the hardest things you'll do in life is receive a black belt in jujitsu. Um, I'm not trying to put any martial arts down or talk bad about anybody, but I, there's a number of Taekwondo schools and karate schools that I can go to as an eight-year-old and get a black belt in a year. Yeah. I've been doing jiu-jitsu pretty much every day for the past 10 years, and I don't have a black belt. So, I mean, there's so much to it. There's so much knowledge you need to retain and achieve before you can even get those promotions. And we're... We're not McDojo's. You can't just come and buy a belt from me. Right. I don't care if you offer me a million dollars for a blue belt. You go buy somewhere else. Yeah. I'm not going to put the name that's tattooed all over my body, you know, on a price to just give a, a rank away. That's kind of going to happen. That's kind of how Eric broke it down for uh, broke it down for me on the podcast. Was yeah. Like, I've been doing this for a long time, and I haven't moved up hardly at all. It's, I mean. Yeah, you got to get in there and figure it out. Um, I love Eric to death. I love he came and trained last night in Garndale, and I was so happy to see him. And this, uh, he's a great guy. I like yeah. Eric. And when he came in, kind of made my day seeing him come in because he's been off since the COVID. And he comes in and puts in the work. It's just a lot of work that's got to be put in. You know, he's a business owner. He's a family man. Um, he's got stuff that he does outside of both of those things that take up time too. And I understand that everybody's busy, but that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu. You come one day a week, you're still doing better than the guy that's sitting on the couch. Yeah. We're not trying to stroke Eric's ego. No. Uh, Eric, Eric you're, yeah. you suck. Yeah, don't get a big head on us, pal, but uh, Eric's one of the hardest really working. Like I was just saying that for the show. <laughs> <laughs> he is one of the hardest working, goal-oriented, Dude, he driven people work. I know. And he works hard, and I wish he was a black belt. But like I said, there's so much knowledge and everything, and he has a lot of knowledge. There's so much knowledge you got to get. And you got to be consistent in your training. You could come for six months straight and you know, become a good grappler in six months, a decent grappler. Good enough that you can take the average job off the street and 
always keep your personal belongings if it come down to hand to hand. Right. Um, unless they knock you out. Everybody has a bunch of students. But you have to be consistent. You take that six months and then you take three or four months off, you just took five steps back. Yeah. Because unless you're doing it every you have to build that memory. Like I said earlier, you have to get to a point where you're not thinking about what you need to do. You just need to flow through it. Like Bruce Lee said again, I like quoting Bruce Lee, you gotta be like water. You gotta flow. You just gotta roll through everything. And once you take those breaks, man, that water turns into ice and you're just stiff sliding across the floor and you're not flowing through the movements. It's easy to get caught. Um, and jujitsu's another thing I love about jujitsu. Um, for example, here in Jasper, I've got a kid that's just turned 15 years old. And I tell every adult that comes in, I don't care if you just walked off NFL line and you're 250 pounds, like you're going to get choked by a 15 year old <laughs> and a girl. Yeah. There's going to be a girl in here. that's going to choke you too. And how you take that is going to depend on how long you stay with jujitsu. Right. Uh, people come to me all the time in class and it cracks me up. They're like, Hey, I was going to take an easy round and grapple with your wife. She's a girl. <laughs> she's almost 170 pound athlete I mean she went to school on athletic scholarships yeah. and she's always been an athlete she runs and I don't know why she does I think running's stupid I'll never run that's Preach. why I learned to fight Yeah, I learned to shoot I don't have to run um, but she'll wait to the hottest part of the day and just get out there and do three five miles and she, how do you do that a ginger like me I'll melt I'll be burned up bubbled up See, people like say it clears their minds and stuff. I was like, I can think of 30 other things to do to clear my mind before yeah. I go running. Yes, me too. I mean, I'm, I'm for physical activity, I'll play but just running. before I go run. <laughs> See, like, physical activity it, it excites me. It's what gets me going, but just running. like Another thing that I love about jujitsu is I hate working out. I've, I hated it when I joined the military. I hated getting up PTN in the morning and running, especially with the Marines, because. If you get up and run with a Navy crew, like CBs or just a regular Navy squad, you may run a mile. Yeah. You get up and run with the Marines, you better be ready for at least three plus. Three is just the, the minimum you're going to do that day. And while you're running with them, then they're going to make you do all kind of crazy crap and every mud hole they come across. And the Marines are a special breed of people. And I love every Marine out there. Um, they have my respect. Yeah. Um, they took care of me more than I could ever ask anybody to take care of me. Uh, as a corpsman, say you go out with a group of Marines and you're at a bar and somebody bumps into you, and now you got to deal with 12 Marines because they don't want anything to happen to Doc. So they keep me safe. Right. And in return, I try my best to keep them safe and bring them home too. So um, once you get in there, you get into jiu-jitsu, you find that same group. It's not exactly the same because – Nobody's shooting us at us in jujitsu, but like I said, you're loaning me your body to better myself. I'm loaning you my body so you can better yourself. You get with a group of people like that, you know what you're forced to do? Get better. Right. And that's that's everybody at the gym. I don't I can't name one person at any of my locations that would try to do anything to one up you or try to, you know, keep a secret from you. If they catch you in something, you're like, How'd you do that? They're like, I did it just like this. Now try to stop it, and you can't. Yeah. <laughs> so you just got to learn how to stop it then. But everybody, every single soul at that gym is just there to help you become a better person. Right. And we've got doctors, lawyers, mechanics. I mean, every walk of life there is in jiu-jitsu. People you would never in a million years think you would hang out with 
become your best friend because the time you spent on the mats together. Yeah. That's I, what, uh, go ahead, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. Some of the guys, like, we have a guy that's a comic book artist, and he's a unique fellow. He's vegetarian. Those are just different people on their own. Great guy. I love him to death. But dude will murder you. I mean, he's just a little <laughs> tiny guy. He's not a big dude. He's not all muscled up. I don't know many muscled up vegetarians. But he'll destroy you. And he's one of the nicest guys in the world. Professor Jacal that we train under this over our team. He drove Uber in New York for years. And he is the nicest soul I've ever ran across. Like, if I met Mother Teresa, they would be tied. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah. just a good person. He's very soft-spoken. He'll choke you to death, and then he kisses you on the forehead. And you're like, dude, <laughs> how are you going to beat me up and kiss me like that? That's, <laughs> but he's that's what you find in jiu-jitsu. You find those people that it's just a, a spirit you can connect with, and the good person, they're going up with you, and y'all are both getting better, and y'all can beat each other up, and y'all know if you go out. Like One thing I love about my wife, that she trains with me, but I know if we go to a bar, which I, I don't drink, I don't hang out at bars anymore, I did that in the Navy and I, um, but if I go to a bar and, you know, bars are prone for fights to break out, me and my wife's going to mop up a bar. Yeah. I mean, we're both barely sized people and we can handle ourselves. So I know that anywhere I go, my wife's got my back. I got my wife's back. Not in a moral support thing, not in, you know, like, oh, I'll talk to you. No, if, the, if it come down to it, and you try to take what was ours, better bring a lunch because you're going to be there for the long. I mean, me and my wife to scrap with you. Right. And you find that group of people in jiu-jitsu. That's awesome. It's One thing I tell people, I mean, to cut you off, but when you first try your try your first class, after that class is over and after the smallest guy in there has just wrecked you and you're <laughs> trying to figure out how this 120, we got a guy named Ninja's 123 pounds that destroys everybody at my gym from 100 pounds to 300 pounds. Dang. Just destroys them. And he's like five foot five, five foot six maybe. He looks like a little pre-teenage kid. He's a monster. So after that, someone like that destroys you, I'm like, now you know if you ever go to prison, you're going to be passed around. <laughs> so it, jujitsu shows you just how little you can defend yourself. Yeah. You come in and you may have been in two or three fights. You may have never been in a fight. You may have been in a hundred fights. And you're like, if something happened, you know, I could hold my own. And then you walk in that school and an 18-year-old girl just smokes your tail. Nope, I can't defend myself <laughs> yeah. at all. This little girl just beat me up. So you learn, one, that mind control. Learn how to, to take care of yourself mentally. And then, two, you know that you can at least stand your ground if you need to. And a lot of people lack that in today's society. Yeah. Because we can't fight no more. When I was a kid, man... It, fought all the time and all my friends that I grew up with except maybe two I fought and after that was settled I'm best friends of this day it's hard to find those friendships that last 20-30 years and I've got pockets full of them man just because we beat each other up when we was kids we know where we stand with each other and we respect each other and that's a relationship that you can't get on Facebook yeah uh, it's a it's a common misconception about Martial artists that are like, oh, they're just in there beating the shit out of each other. But you're really just building a community. Like, we're, that's like a bunch of people may see my group of friends, myself at Twisted Barley. They're like, oh, they're a bunch of drunks. No, that's that's our just way of hanging out. A community. Yeah. So that's what you're doing over there and at your other schools. 
And so you can go to jujitsu and build that community, and then y'all can walk down to Twisted Barley and add to that community. Yeah. You know, and it, I can't say it enough. Knowledge is always best shared. So when you go down there and you're talking to somebody and they have self-doubt and they have some mental issues and some problems they can't get over, and then just hearing you talk about it, they may walk in the gym and it changes their life. Right. I know it changed my life. First day I walked in, I said I would do this till the day I die. I told you before we started the podcast, jiu-jitsu is my longest relationship in my life outside of my children. Right. I've never done anything except play music. I mean, play music since I was a kid, but never done anything longer than I've done jiu-jitsu. And I just hit my 10-year mark. So, if you, not, not to sell, like, your company, but if you had to sell somebody on jiu-jitsu. I don't really try to the, sell my company. Yeah. I want you to train jiu-jitsu because I, I know it's good for everybody. Right. Train at my gym. If you train at the gym down the road, if you train at the gym in Birmingham, as long as you're training, I don't care. Yeah, that's what um, I just wanted you to be like. How? Did, how? What would be a way to encourage someone to get into jujitsu? Like I tell everybody, you never know what jujitsu can do for you until you step on the mats. And I have a good story starting out in jujitsu, being the shape I was in physically, and just the way it changed my life. Once I tell you how it changed my life, you don't make you curious. Yeah. I mean, I've told you before we started this. Yeah. And you didn't like jump up like, "Hey, let's go try it right now." But I could see in your eyes, you know, like maybe I need to yeah. give this a try. Maybe not. Maybe. But long as that maybe's there, and you may just pass by school one day and be like, "You know what? It's been two years since I had that conversation. Let me go see what this is all about." Right. Like I said, that first class is life changing. You're either gonna accept that you can't defend yourself and get mad and leave or you're like how did y'all beat me up so bad <laughs> and not hurt me right. I don't have a bruise I don't have any injuries but you choked me out you pulled on my arm until I said please stop and how did you do that and that curiosity is what's going to build you in jiu-jitsu right. um, I could stop training right now and still defend myself very well but I'm always curious of what, what that next move is or what that move I don't know so I want to figure out all those moves because if I come across somebody that trains Jiu-Jitsu is a small community, but once you get in that community, you start noticing, like, hey, there's a Jiu-Jitsu guy. There's, look at his ears. He trains Jiu-Jitsu or wrestles one. So what moves that he knows that I don't, that I don't know how to stop or count? I don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. I don't want to be anywhere. Anytime something bad breaks out, I want to have confidence in everything that I can do. And Jiu-Jitsu builds that confidence. We've had kids come up. I had this one kid that come by one time. He was getting picked on in school. He was like 12, 13. He was actually in class with my daughter. And he wouldn't even come in the gym. He just sat out in the car and cried. It intimidated him so much. And he'd been picked on so much at school. But his his mom, guardian, whatever, after a couple months training, was like, this is a completely different kid. His The way he walks is different. The way he carries himself is different. The way he reacts to situations is different. I mean, it's going to change you in so many aspects of life. Call anybody fool, but you're a fool if you don't train somebody. Yeah. It doesn't have to be my gym. I mean, I'd love to have anybody that wants to train under me, but if you don't want to train under me, I'm not going to be mad and cry about it and never talk to you again or anything. Um, we have people come and go all the time, and it just is what it is. I offer a service. If you don't want my service, I'm not going to be mad about it. That's right. That's part of entrepreneurship. Yeah, part of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Everybody has a chance. Um, but I recommend everybody try. Yeah, because it is forever. Boys, girls, four-year-old, hundred-year-old, everybody can do jujitsu. I have guys that just signed up in Gardendale that's in their seventies. 
out there every class, killing it. And that's awesome. Putting out everything they can. That's a your seventy year old counterpart may not be able to put out what the twenty year old counterpart can, but they're still in there giving it their all. Yeah. And every day is getting better. See, that's what I think the martial arts the the ones that people don't see on TV all the time. Like the jujitsu, not the just right. the not the taekwondo like you talked right. about, but it's the discipline that you have to give everything your all because you can't just skate by. Alright, I'm I don't agree with all martial arts, but I believe all martial arts have a benefit if taught properly. Right. Um same way with religion. I mean everybody has different views on religion and we live in the Bible belt, so everybody, you know, sticks to their ways in the South. Yeah. But it's kinda like I was telling my wife the other day. I may not agree with everything in Christianity, but I think it's good to have in society because of the the lessons it teaches, the morals it sets, the lessons you learn, you know, just being in a church, being around older folks. And another big problem today is nobody listens to the older generation anymore. Uh, Man, I grew up playing music when I was seven years old. I started playing banjo and traveling with a band. And my parents was like, all right, you can go off with these old guys that pick guitars and mandolins. And we traveled around playing music, and I learned so much knowledge from them just listening to them talk. Yeah. Um, you got two eyes, two ears, and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> Listen and look twice as much as you talk. And once you get that lesson down, man, you sit and talk with these older guys, they've already been through most of the stuff we've been through. Maybe not technical-wise, as far as computers and all this stuff, but all the the true lessons, the real lessons you need in life, that older generation has them because they lived through when there wasn't much electricity or wasn't much indoor plumbing stuff like that and they know how to live and today we don't know how to live people yeah. don't know how to live today if the power grid shut down right now America would go into chaos oh for sure see that's like with golf uh, my dad you know he started off teaching me and I learned a lot from him but everybody that I learned something from in golf was let's say start my dad's my, my dad's age difference is like 25 years and up that's where I learned the most from because the first question I got asked in college or not college, uh, high school was, why'd you hit that shot? And all of a sudden I'm trying to have to explain why I hit that right. shot. And why I hit the ball over here with this iron instead of over here with that iron. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's technical, man. You just got to break down the game. You, you learn why I feel like from the older generation, it's, it's not right there. It wasn't right there in front of them. Like we have everything so they can justify why they did what they do. And that's why I feel like listening to them is so much so important because they're going to tell you why they're doing it. Like, your dad's going to tell you why he whooped your ass. Yeah. <laughs> and our dad whooped our ass. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. A lot of my friends I grew up with didn't have parents that disciplined them. And like I tell my kids in class, what do you think about when you hear the word discipline? Now you think it's something negative. But yeah. It's not. Discipline is the most positive thing you can have in your life. But we've, today society has made discipline to be this bad thing. I'm going to discipline you. You do this or I'm going to call that cop to come get you. So you're scaring kids yeah. from the time they're little about discipline. So when it comes time to have discipline, they're like, I don't want that. That's bad. Yeah. No, you have to be disciplined in life. That's like with our little dude. If he does something, I tell him why he's getting sat in time out or getting right. butt whooped. Um, or just why he's getting a toy taken 
Like, you did this. This is why you're getting it taken away. People used to tell me all the time, you don't whip them girls. Bullshit. I don't (laughs) whip my girls. But now my kids are teenagers when they're supposed to be giving me the most trouble. But I don't have them. And they'll tell you, we don't get in trouble because we're afraid of what you'll do to us. And, I mean, I'm not going to go out there and just beat them to death or anything. But we do punishments at the house. And you're just getting your butt whooped or you're going to work it off. You know, whatever needs to be done. You're going to learn that lesson. Because, I mean, if you don't learn your lesson, then you're just going to repeat failure again. Exactly. So Our society lacks explanation yes. of failure. Well, everybody has all the knowledge in their hand, but yeah. nobody uses it. People would rather Google a parenting article about how to handle this situation. Yeah. Than how to talk them through this. How did my dad handle this? Or how did my mom handle why this? Why is my kid crying or acting out right now? Let me Google that and look for these symptoms so I can get them some medication. Yeah. The medication he needs is whoop their ass. <laughs> Worked great for me. It was the best work. medication I had. Yeah. And, you know, like, just talking about ADHD and stuff earlier. All kids are ADHD. Yeah. When you're little, I mean, you, you're just discovering this world. You're trying to figure out what everything is, what you can and can't do. You're only born with two fears. The rest of it, you have to figure out. Yeah. You're born with the fear of loud noises and falling. Anything else is trial and error. Yeah. And when you restrict that from your kids, even adults, then you have what you find in every inner city today. Yeah. So that's a, that's what jujitsu kind of brings to the table is the control, control and problem solving. Yeah, and again, that's two things we like: control and problem solving. People think they can just lash out at anything today, and like I get guys that come by the gym, oh, I can't train because if you choke me, then I'm gonna do this and this. No, you're not. You're gonna go to sleep. If, if I choke you, if I put one of my choke holds on you, and you tap, we'll start over and figure out how I done that and figure out other things right but if i choke you and you want to fight you're gonna take a nap i ain't gotta let you go if you're trying to harm me when we're just training and learning how to better ourselves yeah you're gonna go to sleep yeah or you're gonna have a really bad day because you don't know jujitsu right and i just choked you and you got upset because i beat you up so you're gonna want to fight me more that doesn't make sense yeah but they don't have that control they don't know they're just like i'm just gonna freak out and Nobody's going to choke me. Yeah, we're going to choke you. We're going to teach you how to choke people. We're going to teach you how to calm, be calm while you're being choked and figure out how to get out. See, you people just freak out of everything. The, my final question, and then uh, we'll transition into the closing. Okay. But, uh, do people come, that come in with just this huge misunderstanding, because I even I had the major misunderstanding until I t- you know Eric and I talked about it, but do they come in like, well, I'm going to be – the next Anderson Silva, oh, just because yeah. they watch it on TV. You get those guys, you get people that's intimidated. It, it's very intimidating when you walk into a gym and you see all the colors, all the belt colors out there, and you're like, all right, so I know jiu-jitsu is effective, and I know you have a chart on the wall that tells you the minimum times you have to be a belt before you're even eligible for the next belt. Yeah. So once you see all that, you're like, uh, I want to get out there and get beat up by these guys, but we're not beating you up. We're teaching you or showing you a different way of life and how you take that is like I said it's going to determine if you stay or if that's your real class and you're done I know like I, like I said that was a, I wasn't really dialed into the, exactly the, the art of jujitsu right. until Eric like I said we talked about it so I did a little bit of research into it and uh, that's when they call it like UFC mixed martial right. arts is there's yeah, everybody's like you train UFC? No. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. That's it. But Do you train UFC? UFC was brought on by jiu-jitsu practitioners. Yeah. They started it. So Gracie. It's the Gracies. Yeah. And um, that's who I've got Gracie tattooed all over my body. It's just I practice their style of jiu-jitsu. 
Yeah. There's many styles of jujitsu, and today there's even more than there were back then because everybody gets their black belt. It's like, oh, I'm going to leave the person that just showed, put all this time and effort into me, got me to where I am. Oh, I'm just going to leave them and start my own thing. So is that why you think you see more specialists these days, like in the MMA world? Yeah. Um, comes back to society today. Nobody is loyal the way they were yeah. when when jujitsu first hit the scene. Um, when the Gracie family first started training, those guys are so tight knit. That this you ain't gonna get it in that family, and a lot of them wouldn't even train other people. They was just trying to keep it for themselves for a little bit, and then they started sharing it with everybody. And then the people they share it with, they're like, "Now I'm gonna make this mine and put this flag up and say this jujitsu team or whatever." Um, but it all comes from the same. Yeah. All had the same start. Right. Um, but I'm loyal to Hopiel in more ways than one. But, I mean, sticking with somebody for 10 years. How long have you been married? Four. And four easy, super easy years. Yeah. And you're ready for the next four. But you spend 10 years with somebody and you start finding little things and you're like, uh, maybe things would be better if I look over here or something. I'm not saying you're going to do that in your marriage. No. But um, people feel that way yeah. and the grass is always greener on the other side but is it really and if i just sacrificed my time my body my financial situation like, i don't make any money at jiu-jitsu i make no money at jiu-jitsu <laughs> um but I, it's something i love to do so i, I do it right um, i could go back diving and make six figures a year and drive those fancy cars i don't need that to be happy i just need your neck to make me happy that's the thing of the entrepreneurship, though, is yeah. most people are doing what they leave these jobs that are safe and mm-hmm. you make a good living. But the entrep- that's the thing of entrepreneurship is you're really taking a risk to do what you love. Yep. And uh, you're having a positive effect on Walker County and Gardendale and Winfield. I'm trying. Um, I'm just trying to share what knowledge I've gathered and traveling around the world and doing all the stuff I've done. I've always been the person, like I said earlier, I sit and listen more than I'm going to talk when I'm in new situations. Now, if it's something I've done for 10, 15 years, then shut up. Let's just do it. Yeah. But I'm always down for new ideas, new ways. Um, you can learn. I can learn something from you on your first day and you come to class in jiu-jitsu. And you've never done jiu-jitsu before. But your body may move a certain way that's going to help me out of position. And if I just pay attention to you, then I just learned something from you your first day. Right. It's... I mean, you have your, your rank structure, you have your belt structure, and you always respect the guys that's put in 5, 6, 10, 15, 20 years, and you're on day 20. You know, <laughs> you have to give those guys respect. Because on your 20th day, you it's in your mind that you know the sacrifices that that blue belt or that purple belt or brown belt or black belt's put into it. And not everybody's going to put that into it. And they put all that time into it, and now they're going to spend their personal time where they could be better than just their self over there working on some drill with a dummy or with a higher belt. But no, they're going to take time out of their training time to grab you up and say, hey, let me show you this. Let me show you how to better your game. Let me give you a tip on a diet plan or something that's going to better your life. You're sitting talking to a doctor or a lawyer is going to just give you pointers to help you get into a better situation in life. And right. It's it's not just martial arts. It's not just fighting. Yeah. It's, we have a family. Um, and like I said, I'm loyal to the guy that started me in jiu-jitsu and you know i don't ask for anybody to be loyal to me and i'm, I'm not running no cold or anything <laughs> I said if you want to train with me come train with me if you don't 
man, go train somewhere. Just train jujitsu. It's it's so good for you, your body, physically, mentally, everything about jujitsu is good. That's the thing is, like you say, you're you said you're loyal to the guy that taught you. You're gonna have that person that's loyal to you yeah. that's probably gonna want to be like, hey, can I buy your business in twenty years? When you're yeah. like, I'm like, nope, yep. <laughs> you get what I'm saying though. It's like you. you yeah, I that's how the world operates. Is somebody's taught somebody something, they're going to carry on that knowledge some but, way. But that chain of that thought process has been lost in America. Yeah, I mean, you can't even find somebody to be loyal to their spouse for ten years. Right. You know what I mean? That a lot of people get divorced these days more than they were fifty years ago, mm-hmm. and it's because of that breakdown in society. We've we've lost so many ways that are um, essential for life. Yeah. That in America we just don't have anymore. See, I used to, uh, when I went to college, we had small groups and stuff where we talked about life. Right. And uh, one of the things that like, I always hit on was, well, this happened with somebody I know. How could it affect me? Or you have this fam- this person that comes from a family of divorce. So, like, break the cycle. Right. I think if people kind of live by that because I, I live by that like break the cycle like I saw this happen in my life I don't want this to happen right. to me you stop let you stop all the negativity in your life you start living with positivity feed on the negativity yeah. these days though I mean the Facebook drama the Instagram drama this drama in the media is this like America's ran on drama Dude. and that, that just breaks down that breaks you down mentally so bad I stopped using Facebook outside I didn't of, have the gyms I yeah, it, that's that's what I was gonna say. Like I use the Facebook for podcasts. If I did, if I didn't have the podcast, I would just be done with Facebook because I'm done with Facebook. Right. Like, if I'm I done didn't with have part of it. Business to run, I wouldn't even have a cell phone. Yeah, it's just I don't need that leash. Everything, everybody wants some kind of. They want they want the negativity. That's like you said. You want something they negative. They gotta thrive. And they I, gotta make sure that no matter how bad their life is, they gotta find somebody that's got a problem they don't have. In point that out right why what good does that do anybody if it's not their own negativity they want somebody else's um somebody told me a long time ago you know only look down on somebody when you're helping them up so i mean i i even have a gym that opened up here in town competition with me you know and i wish them the best that's that's how you don't want to train with me go train with them if you don't want to train with them go train with somebody else Um, how can i be mad at you for trying to i'm not mad Exactly. You know, some feelings may have got hurt here and there with students coming and going, but I'm not mad at nobody. I yeah. try not to hold any grudges. Um, if anybody wants to beat me, just come beat me on the mat. Why? You know, it's, Why get mad at somebody coming into your niche? Yeah. You know, within a close proximity of living. You Burger can't, King didn't get mad at McDonald's for opening across the street. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's there's enough people here that we both can okay and spread this art and change people's lives as long as they're over there doing that then i can't do nothing but support you you're trying to better somebody else's life and if you're over there just being an asshole to people and giving jujitsu a bad name then i can't support you but as long as you're staying true to the art and the fundamentals of the art and the ways of martial arts then how can i be mad at you see everybody needs that mentality everybody needs to give some kind of discipline training a shot. We're going to talk about jujitsu today since we have a jujitsu <laughs> yeah. teacher here. But, um, but one thing that, that's always stuck with me since the military, and I find it's a reason that I don't hold grudges, and that my wife tells me, like, 
you get, ever get mad at anything? Yeah, I get upset every now and then. Everybody does. I've been shot at too many times to hold grudges and to carry something over to the next day. Or I mean, being angry is a waste of time. Yeah. I can. There's always something that makes me happy. I can go catch a bass. That makes me happy. Come on, man. Well, yeah. I'm going to be mad at something somebody over here is doing. All I got to do is walk away, and it's not going to affect my life. Yeah. You said a bad word to me, I'm going to get upset? Come on now. I used to be so paranoid, like, because I've always had diarrhea of the mouth. Like, whatever comes to my head, I usually uh, say it. Irish and a sailor. <laughs> uh, so I've, I used to be so self-conscious, like, did I make this person mad? And now I, it bothers me because I try to be the best person right. I can be. So if, like, I hurt, if I hurt your feelings, okay, I cross the line somewhere. I want to know how to fix it if I care about that relationship. Right. But at the same time, I'm not going to, like, limit my thoughts to support your feelings. Exactly. Um, I don't ever wake up and be like, I'm going to go hurt somebody's feelings. Exactly. No, I'm not that person. I really, I don't study. If you're not right there when I wake up, I really probably not going to think about you. Yeah. I'm going to think about my wife, my kids, and my dogs. Because that's the first people I see when I get up. So why am I worried about what somebody across the town says or does that doesn't affect me at all? Yeah. Uh, words that never hurt me. I never heard a word come out of somebody's mouth. I was like, oh, I used to worry. I'm dying because you said a bad word. <laughs> no, I say bad words all the time. And I may hurt people's feelings because I'm, I'm a blunt person, I'm a straightforward person, but I'm not doing it intentionally. Yeah. And my harsh words may be something you need to hear. Exactly. I don't I, just go out to treat people bad. No, that's... I don't hide my feelings from people. And usually, like, I used to... I used to be blunt to the point where I was an asshole. Right. And I learned, like, I can be, I learned I could be blunt with my faults, but sometimes things are better left unsaid. And I I used to stress so much, like, did I say this and hurt their feelings? Or I used to worry about other other people's feelings too much. Now it's just like, okay, if I know I can just go in there and be a decent human being. Right. Nobody's going to hate me. Always just try to be the best person you can be. Um, When I started traveling, got in the military and got out in all these other countries. Um, I grew up in the South, Mississippi, Alabama, the Bible Belt. Oatman has 900 people and like 17 churches, one red light. <laughs> yeah. um, so I grew up playing gospel music. Uh, I played uh, bass in a gospel band. I played bluegrass music, which is based around Christianity yeah. and just old stories. That's what I loved about it. I don't, I don't like country music that much, but I love the story. Any, anything that tells a story, it interests me. And um, just once you get around all that, um, kind of lost where I was going there. <laughs> what was we even talking about? I don't know. What were we talking I don't about? Know. Just being nice to people. I oh guess. yes. So once you get out and you learn all these different things that you can do for your well-being, then why are you gonna let other people affect you and control your body, your mind, your emotions by just saying stuff to you? Yeah. Unless you physically touch me, there's no problem. No. I don't really have a problem with anybody. But once you put your hands on me, we'll figure it out. I may lose, I may win. But whatever that problem was, it'll be settled then. Right. But until you put your hands on me, I could care less what you got to say. Anything negative. If you got something positive to say or knowledge to pass, I'll listen to it. But I just don't yeah. hang around negativity. Awesome. Man, like I said, uh, I want to thank you for coming on. And I appreciate uh, you having It's been me. a good talk. It has, man. Man. I've enjoyed being I think. Here. This, people will love this episode because oh, you've done so much and you're contributing to the community. That's the one thing I want to focus on are people that contribute to the community, whether it's morally, with their business, yeah. uh, 
or just something positive. And what you're doing is very positive. You're giving people an avenue to train their minds and their bodies at the same time. Very few sports and disciplines do that. And with jujitsu, you don't really realize you're working out. Yeah. Because you're learning so much and you're trying to figure out how to move. And you don't realize you're burning like 900 calories in an hour class. So the weight just starts falling off when you start. I don't even work out with weights. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, I, I hate working out. I'm like running on like pushing weights around. I do it to compete because everybody's competing in jiu-jitsu is phenomenal shape. Yeah. And I can't be the, the short, fat guy <laughs> fighting guys that are 6'5", 280 pounds. I've been down that road. It's not fun. Yeah. Um, so I have to be in shape for that. But if it wasn't for that, man, I'd never push a weight around. I, I could find other things to do to keep me healthy. Well, other than sitting in the weight room, uh, seeing how much iron I can push around, it's just, it's never attracted <laughs> me. Just like running. I've always heard about that runner's high, and I actually achieved it one time. And I was like, that's not a high that I care to have. I've um, never had it. I used to run all the time. It takes a lot of running to get to it. And once I got it, you do feel good. And I ran the furthest I ever ran at one time that day. And I was like, it's, it's kind of like crack. It's, it's yeah. not my cup of tea. Yeah. But, uh. But you're, like I said, what you're doing is so positive. There's no negativity about anything you said. And if people can. Nick sucks. There's just some negativity. There's, there's the negativity. Bam! I had to hit you with We it. love him, though. Yeah, we uh, love him to death. <laughs> he sucks. He's but, about uh, to go do my hair. So I'm glad you're not putting this out today. Yeah. So he won't mess my hair up. Give you a job. But when this comes out, he may. Yeah. He's like, I heard some podcast. Few extra lines in there. Yeah. We're going to cut you a little low today. But, uh, we do this thing Jason called... Jason loves air coming in the back of my head. I don't know it. <laughs> like sketches and initials yeah. in there. Um, but we do this thing called last shots. Just blast the questions. 30 seconds. Answer them as fast as you can. Okay. You've, you've listened to the show, right? Yeah. Okay, so you're I'll ready I'm trying to do it. my best. I'm going to do my best with the questions. You ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Favorite destination you were uh, deployed to? That's a hard one. Um, I love the Asian countries. Anywhere in the... South Pacific, man, it's it's my cup of tea. Best food you've had? Oh God, I love food. Um, Portugal. Just Favorite anything restaurant in Portugal? Favorite restaurant in Walker County? Oh, the gas station sushi place. Yes. If you had one person to roll with, who would it be? In jujitsu? Yeah. Papio. And that's the end of the last shots, bro. Man, I you did you did awesome. I Thirty seconds. I'd be a lot slower than that. No. <laughs> I try to keep you can't it. ask me about food, man. I love food. I've been 300 pounds twice. I yeah. love food. So. What, what kind of food was in Portugal? Uh, Portugal was on my bucket list. Dude, go to Portugal. It's yeah. cheap. Um, most everybody there knows enough English that you don't have to worry about anything. It's a very safe place. Uh, there's cops walking around with submachine guns and stuff. So, you know, not a lot of people are breaking anything crazy out over there. But the food's amazing. The it's one of the oldest countries in the European Union, and there's so much history there, which I'm, I love history. Yeah. You learn everything that you need to know going forward from the past, right? Um, but the food there, man. Every corner, it seems like every corner in Portugal, in Lisbon, has a pastry shop. And it's so good. I'm pastries they pastries. make it, man. So you have to stay you away from like fluffy breads and every soft day drinks. for a week you could eat different pastry and probably still not eat all the different pastries they have there um, the seafood's amazing just the wine's great I'm not a big wine I'm not a big alcohol person but the wine's really good over there um, let's see 
Yeah. He was in the Navy and worked offshore. So I've always been around the ocean eating seafood. And just, you get these big platters with every kind of fish in the sea on it and crustaceans and everything. But it's, even the McDonald's and the Burger King there, like, they have bans on, like, GMO products and all these additives that we get in America. Yeah. Dude, I could go to Burger King and get a burger and could eat about half of it. And you can get all the toppings that you would get at a sit-down restaurant. You, it doesn't taste anything like McDonald's or Burger King. Dang. But I noticed, like, when I was eating fast food the few times I ate it over there, when I flew back to America in the airport, I stopped and get fast food. Man, I could eat two or three combo meals. But over there, I could, like I said, I could get a half a sandwich and I'm stuffed. Yeah. It's... We eat fake food here. Yeah, we do. We live in a society ran by fake people. And Facebook is one of the most fakest things out, most fakest. We'll have to get yeah. you over one day and just yeah. talk about social media all together. Oh, man, that would be a blast. Speaking of social media, uh, give you a chance to run a free commercial. Tell everybody where they can find you and um, uh, how they can get with you about coming to your gym. You can check our website out, championship factor, championfactory.com. <laughs> sorry, championfactory.com. Um, we have a Facebook page, uh, Gracie United, Team Jacal, Jasper, or Winfield, or Gardendale, either location. Um, we actually have four locations in the state just opened up uh, Gulf Shores at the end of last year. So if you sign up with us and do a vacation in Gulf Shores like most everybody does from this area, you can go down there and train while you're on vacation. Kids train, you can pop them in there, drop them off for a class, and go out and do some running around, whatever, come back and get them. I mean... We were spread out, so if you sign up at our location, you can train any of our locations. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's a good thing. Is yeah. You're not confined to. And one we area. don't do any. You don't have to buy anything. We give you a custom uniform when you sign up. Free uniform to sign up. Um, there's no promotion fees or belt testing fees. You earn everything you get in jujitsu. And when I'm sitting there watching you day after day after day, put in all this work and sacrificing your time and little injuries here and there, like a a bit toe or bit finger or something. I mean, we're not, we haven't had any big injuries at the gym. It's just always a toe or a rib that gets jammed up. Yeah. But you sacrifice all that, your body, your time and everything. You earn everything you get. So when it's time for you to get promoted, man, I buy the belt personally and give it to you. That's you awesome. earned it. I can't charge you for something that you did all that work for. Yeah. So a lot of places, you know, they, you got to buy an expensive gi when you sign up. And by the time it's all said and done, you're four or $500 in just come to us, try a week free, something you like, bring me a hundred bucks. I give you a gig in a month, and it's a hundred bucks a month in Jasper. Awesome. And that's it. You can train anywhere. Sweet. Folks. And we're all over the world. We yeah. have over 60 locations. We're all over Europe, New England states, all over the South. So, I mean, if you travel, you can train anywhere. That's sick, dude. Folks, hopefully you've been entertained and Hopefully you are convinced to go try Brazilian Jiu Jitsu <laughs> at least one time. Yeah, yeah just try somewhere. anywhere, man. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to push my business on you. Yeah. Like I said, I don't even run it as a business. I don't, I'm not in it to make no money or I just want to share the art. That's what's life changing. That's all we can do in this world. That's man. Just share do, our man. passion with people. Best things in life are free. Yeah. Or they cost a hundred dollars a month. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Jason, I have loved having you on, man. Uh, I love. We'll do. Here. We'll do this again, dude. For we, sure. We gotta hang out outside yeah. of this too. Yeah, I'm down anytime. I don't drink beers, but my wife will drink a beer with you. Sweet. You can come hang out trash with me. Yeah. yeah, we'll go for a trivia night, hosted yeah. by our friend Matthew Ostrich Mitchell. And uh, gotcha. But Jason, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for your time. I know you're busy. Uh, you're an entrepreneur, so yeah. you never stop. Yeah. We're, when you work for yourself, I mean, you're always at work. Right. So, but 
hanging out with those older people when I was a kid, one of the old men's told me at a very young age, find something you would do for free, figure out how to get paid for it, you'll be a happy man. Oh, there we go. And I would do jujitsu for free all day long. And like I said, I don't get paid much, but what a little bit I get is more than enough for me. There's your daily dose of Zen, people. Zen, just meditate on that. <laughs> all right, Jason, thanks for coming on, man. Folks, stay safe, stay healthy, talk to somebody different than you, love your neighbor, but more importantly, pass a jar. We'll see you next time.